1: Hello, Trojan fans, and welcome to episode number 218 of the Peristyle Podcast. Today is April 23rd, 2012, the day after Earth Day, but we got a great show for you this week on the podcast talking about USC football. If you have any questions or comments, we love to hear from you. You can email us, podcast at uscfootball.com, or if you want to leave us a voicemail, two options, call us, 206-206. 888 6755 or go to peristylepodcast.com. Click on the left side of the page and leave us a voicemail there. We've got Dan Weber coming up a little bit later on in the show. We've got some USC questions for him. Talk about what the team's going to be doing over the next couple of months as they're getting ready for fall camp. Get all the updates there. We are not going to have Gerard Martinez on this week for recruiting. We have a ton of recruiting questions, though, so those will be on a Trojan Blast podcast coming up either on Tuesday or or Wednesday, but we do have Coach Harvey Hyde here in the first segment. We love to talk to the coach. What's going on, Coach? How you doing?
2: How you doing, Ryan? I tell you, I apologize for all those cellular phones ringing in the background, but people are calling me, and I forgot to turn them off. So I'll just be completely honest with you. i, I, <laughs> I got to delay a game, march off five yards against me, and we'll get our segment going. But uh, it's been a great week. I went to Vegas last week, had a chance to... Uh, Watch their spring uh, game, which was on Saturday, and uh, see a lot of friends and former players up there. And by the way, I want to mention this, and then they announced at that spring game, I'm very proud of this. I'm not trying to boast about this, but they are going to induct uh, the team I coached in 1984 with Randall Cunningham and others on that team into the UNLV Hall of Fame. And uh, that really made me proud to be a part of that team. It wasn't me. It was the coaches, it was the secretaries, it was the players, it was the community, everybody who supported us, and uh, I'm really excited about that and for that team. So on October the 12th, we're going to have a big banquet in Vegas, and that's the game of their in-state rival against uh, Nevada Reno, and the team will be honored there and honored at halftime. And It's just a great uh, uh, thing for this team to get, and I'm very proud of that. I don't mean to bring it up during an SEC. Uh, segment, But it's something that happened. And uh, James Boyd, the quarterback that played, of course, uh, came out of uh, South Central and played at FC, is now on the Rebel football team. He was playing quarterback there. As you know, he left USC, went to West L.A., graduated and transferred to USC. And during the scrimmage up there on Friday, uh, they had a scrimmage on Friday. I might have mentioned Saturday. Uh, he was playing defensive end. So uh, he wasn't disgruntled about it. He said, I got my turns as far as a quarterback, and if I'm not going to play on offense, let me play somewhere on defense. So, certainly looked physical. 6'5, about 250, looked great in the uniform. Didn't get a chance to watch him play that much. But uh, people who follow USC football would like to know. Where some of these athletes go and how they're doing. So I thought I'd just throw that in.
1: Well, first of all, Coach, congratulations on being at the uh, inducted into the Hall of Fame. That sounds that's like a great honor, and uh, you're not taking as much credit you deserve for that. So you put that team together, and I think you uh, deserve the credit. So congratulations on that. We we all appreciate you having your insight here. Now you're Hall of Famer, so it's even better to have you on the podcast.
2: <laughs> not me, the whole team. Okay. <laughs> The whole team, Ryan. I'll even throw you in on that, okay?
1: Oh, thanks. Wait, hey, I was inducted as a no joke, like a few months ago, to my high school hall of fame for our volleyball team. <laughs> so, my team back in 1989. So, our team got inducted to the hall of fame. So, it's not quite the same, Coach, but uh, you know. And I will take a lot of the credit for that. It was me. No, I'm just kidding. It was, it was fun. So, we're both hall of famers, Coach, just on different levels.
2: Well, it's just a great honor <laughs> for those kids who uh, who put out and. And, and it all paid off, and they've all gone into the community and done so well. Uh, I was eating uh, Thursday night up there in a restaurant, and I left, and I heard this bellowing voice, Coach! So I turned around, and I went back to the table, and, and here's Paul Godby, who came out of Rancho Cucamonga, was a tackle, rode into town on a motorcycle, six six two ninety, 290, uh, played for us on that team, And he says, Coach, you'll be very proud of me. And I said, I've always been proud of you, Paul. He says, I got my B.A., and I said, congratulations. He says, I got my M.A., I said, congratulations. He says, Coach, you won't believe this. I said, what, Paul? He says, I'm an elementary school teacher uh, for 13 years now in the Las Vegas school district. I said, wow, Has many parents come in and argued about the way you're teaching, I can imagine that teacher walking in his class or his family – Remember walking in the classroom and seeing him standing there, six six, two ninety, and saying, "Now, you know, I don't like the way you're teaching," but uh, no, he loves what he does. He'll be a great administrator. He's excited about being a school teacher, and you just see this. You know, I saw another player at the scrimmage, Martin uh, Cooper from L.A. City College, who played for us. He's now the chief engineer of the Bellagio, and there's others that are like that. I mean, what a responsibility! What a tremendous job to see these kids come out of Southern California, have an opportunity to get an education, play football, and then go on and get into hotel management school or whatever they wanted to do in Las Vegas and be successful. It's it's just great. And I don't want to talk anymore about this, but I'm so proud of these kids.
1: Well, congratulations again, Coach. Uh, we're really, really proud of you. And uh, before we get into the segment, I wanted to thank our sponsor, Southern California Tickets. You can go to com or call them, 1-800-888-7287. If you need tickets for anything, uh, Dodgers, Angels, you want to go Kings playoffs, you can check that out. Uh, go to sctickets.com, and they will hook you up. And uh, coach, we've got a lot of stuff to get to. There's, we're going to talk about the NFL draft a little bit. There's a, that's coming up this week, but we do have a couple of questions. I thought we could go over first. Um, Melvin wanted to know, he said he noticed in the spring due to injuries that there was very little if any tackling and live football, much like two years ago when depth was a concern. And then in all caps, so he's, he's serious, Coach. He says, therefore, do you think the defense will react at the beginning of the season, season knowing that Stanford is game number three? How do you think the defense will react at the beginning of the season? He says, I asked this question looking back two seasons ago when there was no tackling and the 2010 defense it was horrible for half of the, for half of the season. Will the, will the 2012 defense struggle before it becomes a strong point of this team?
2: Well, we had Monty Kiffin on uh, at the spring game, and we asked him that question, and he said, "He says, hey, when we come back in the fall, we're going to be scrimmaging. We had that experience a year ago when we couldn't hit anybody. He says when we come back in the fall, it's full go. Whether we have injuries or not, we've got to learn to play at the speed of the game. So I look for the defense and the offense to come back and go full speed. You might have some injuries, but when you think about injuries, you can't – change what it takes to win because you're concerned more about injuries than becoming a great football team. So you got to go out and you got to play the game at the speed that the game is being played at. You've got to learn to settle up. you got to learn to block people that are moving targets. So I anticipate them coming back in the fall and everything is full go. That's the only way you can get better. You've had your opportunities now to uh, rehab and get yourself ready to play. I think they've had their opportunity now to find out in their mind who their backup quarterback is. I think Matt Barkley will get all the turns in the fall, get back in his rhythm, be ready to play. There won't be many rotations at different positions. And I think the positions are set. I think they'll just now use, utilize their players, how they want to utilize them in certain formations and routes and running game and so on and, and get ready to play. So I think in the fall you come back and get after it. You don't come back and, and sit around and go through this thud stuff that you do, because you've got, a, you've got some great uh, uh, things to live up to, and the only way you learn to play football and continue, condi- condition yourself is play at the speed of the game.
1: You know, it seemed to all change, coach, uh, after the Trey Madden injury, and it wasn't even a, a contact injury. I mean, he just went down without being touched at, at practice, making a cut, and went down and's gonna be out for the season. It seemed that at that point that's when Lane Kiffin kind of put the brakes on and said, Okay, we're gonna back off. Even though it wasn't a tackle related injury, he kind of uh made everything a little bit more conservative, I guess, for the the last couple of weeks of spring football.
2: Well that happens at times. You know, sometimes, you know, you, you need to have a healthy team and you say, Oh no and that's a shocking type of injury and you don't want to have any more of those was mentally it really does it's an emotional letdown to the entire team including yourself as a coach you're such a great kid you hate to see kids like this who are willing to make a move and be a part of your program and do what's the best for the team uh, get injured like that so uh you know yeah yeah, i in fact i ran into one of the kids uh at the spring uh, game i was at the other day he's a doctor now and uh i said keith i said I remember the day you were hurt out here. And he says, Coach, how can you remember that? I'll say, let's walk over, and I'll show you the spot on the field it was. And he says, how can you remember that? I said, because I was so concerned of your injury, I can remember all of that. It was a career-ending injury, and I'll never forget that. So certain things bother you mentally, and you say, you know, we've accomplished enough. Let's stay in group work. Let's hit individually, and, and, and we'll come back in the fall when, when – when we're healed up and ready to go. And that has a real emotional effect on coaches, because they love their players. They love their players. They coach, and they, they don't want to see them get hurt. And no one knows the feeling unless you're a coach or a parent or when a player goes down. Unless you've played the game or coach, it's a terrible feeling that goes through you. Uh, when you look into the eyes of a kid that's done everything you've asked him to do all season or, or whatever, and you see him injured like that, it's, it's, it's just horrible. Horrible. So I think that had a part of why he decided we've had enough.
1: Well, speaking of injuries, we do have another uh, question on injuries, more of a general question. Uh, Here's this one.
3: Hey, Ryan, that's me. I've got a question for Coach Harvey Hyde. Um, Out of all the injuries that um, USC uh, had um, for spring, which one is the most concerning for him? And what is his thoughts, um, you know, heading into uh, fall camp, you know, as in team-wise, you know, thank you very much, and fight on.
2: Well, thank you very much for your question. I think the one number one uh, injury I was concerned with was Robert Woods's injury. But I want to pass this on to our listeners, too. We did have him on the show, and if you weren't listening to our broadcast of the spring game, we asked Robert uh, during the scrimmage, uh, he was on, and we said, Robert, How do you feel? Does he really feel good? And we asked him, if this was a real game, the opening game of the year against the University of Hawaii, would you play today? And his answer was absolutely. So for the people that are worried about his rehab and how he feels, it is positive. It is positive. So that's one that I was real concerned with, and to hear he's ready to go. Now he's got to get back in shape a little bit. But what did he have to prove? He didn't have to prove anything. It gave him a a chance for Flournoy and Blackwell and these other players to get some turns and get better. That was the smartest thing that Coach Lane Kiffin did. Let him rest, let him rehab, keep him out of it. He doesn't need to prove anything. He got beat up. Whenever you catch 14 passes in one game, I mean, you're taking some shots and you're returning punts and you're returning kickoffs. His body needs to mend. So that was one I was real concerned with. Uh, Of course, when Trey Madden went down, I was real concerned about that. I'm concerned about every type of injury. A coach is concerned about, uh, you know, eligibility and injuries. When my academic advisor would come in and say, Coach, uh, we might lose this guy, I would say, we can't lose this guy. And he'd say, Coach, every time I come in here, you say, we can't lose this guy. And that's exactly how I feel injury-wise and academically. We can't lose anybody. To injuries or academically, you take these kids in. You, 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 forecast when they should play. You want them to graduate from college. You want them to mature mentally and physically. So you know a coach loves his players. So there, every single injury that happened out there, if I was Coach Kiffin or that staff, I'm concerned with. So when I when you talk about Telf Telford, you talk about these kids that got injured this spring. Uh, I I'm concerned about all of them. The tight ends have got to get back. Uh, 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 the kid Toby, uh, Tobon Harris has got to come back. All these guys that have been injured with little nagging injuries—they got to come back. You got to have all your players ready. It's like an army. You got to have the Coast Guard. You got to have the, the Army. You got to have the Marines. You got to have the Navy. You got to have the Air Force. You got to have them all ready when you go to war.
1: And, you know, and and right now or over the spring, USC didn't have uh, everyone ready. That the, the Trey Madden thing that you know we talked about, obviously, that was a, a big deal. It was one of the biggest stories of spring when he switched over to running back and to lose him for the whole year. I, I guess now going forward, coach, I mean, you know, having Robert Woods, at least there was like a Marquise Lee there. Uh, you know, there's a, a Curtis McNeil there, but he's been kind of getting banged up quite a bit. He does bounce back though; he seems to get right back in the game all the time. Uh, i mean there's there could be some some injuries where depth is a concern like a, a george Uko. Uh there's pretty much no one left with experience in the middle of the defensive line or a Curtis McNeil like we talked about i mean there there's some thin positions on this team where an injury in the fall could really be devastating
2: there always is there always is there's always a drop off but then you've got to remember you've always have to have someone ready to step up and play you can't you can't look at you know, you look at your great players, and to be good, you got to be lucky. And good teams make their luck. Well, you know, the ball's got to roll the right way. You can't have injuries. Uh, you got to play. You got to get breaks. You can't drop passes. You can't fumble the ball. You can't miss tackles. You got to take advantage of opportunities. You can't miss field goals. You know, you got to be lucky to be great. Uh, part of being good is being lucky, but I think great teams make their luck. Like. When you watch great teams play, you always think, "Man, was it They always get the breaks. They get the breaks because they make their breaks. So, uh, you know, yeah, yeah, yes, there'll be some slim pickings on some positions, and, but you got to be ready to play. You know, Leonard Williams got to move in there and play. Or Anton Woods has got to come up and say, "I'll take his place, coach." And you got to have somebody. I don't want to see anybody get hurt. I don't want to see anybody not there willing to give their hundred percent but it's going to happen. It's going to happen. It's unfortunate, but it happens. But other guys have got to learn to step up and play as a bigger body, a faster body to take the spot of the person that's not there.
1: Well, let's uh, switch it up a little bit, coach. And I wanted to talk about the uh, upcoming NFL draft. It's only a few days away. And uh, I guess it's kind of a mixed bag sometimes coach, where if, uh, you know, USC's definitely been putting guys in the NFL for, for years and years. And, tons of guys and sometimes it's a mixed bag where you say wow that USC had five first round draft picks or something well is that good for the the team next year uh right now looks like probably two first round draft picks and then we're not sure where some of the other guys are going to go um what what are your thoughts on that coach when you want to see uh, you know the school that you root for or the school that you follow put a bunch of guys in the NFL draft but it also means that Those are guys that are going to need to be replaced when you're talking about playing on Saturdays in the fall.
2: Well, I like to see uh, kids uh, have their dream come true. Your dream come true is to play on Friday, then Saturday, then on Sunday. And have an opportunity to to be a number one draft choice or or be a five-star coming out of high school. That didn't happen to many kids. And uh, to have that opportunity, I think it's completely fabulous. To be able to go to camp as a free agent, I think that's absolutely fabulous. But you've had an opportunity to say you had your chance, even if it was a a drink of water in a pro camp, you can always say, I tried out or had an opportunity to play for a team. I think that's a dream come true for any young man that's out there. As far as losing kids early, uh, to me it's, it's hard to do, but you have to swallow it. Because uh, when you have great players and you get great players, you know they're going to have that opportunity of coming out early. When you have great classes, that's when it's even harder on you. If you have four or five, four or five come out early, then it's really hard to replace all those great players. But this year, USC was very fortunate. They had four players that could have come out early and possibly all been in the first round. I'm not saying they all could have been, but most likely they would have been. T.J. McDonald and also Matt Barkley. They could have had four players come out early. So, fortunately, two decided to stay. The two to go out, you want to always wish the best of luck to because that's the type of player you want to attract to your football program. And if you're a young high school player, you look at that. you look at the number of players that teams put into the pros. you look and say, hey, the left tackles at USC, the history, if you play left tackle or right tackle or linebacker or running back at USC – you've got a great chance to get into the NFL. I most recently uh, read where one of the linebackers, uh, I think from Georgia or somewhere in Florida, is interested in USC because they, he's calling it linebacker U because of the number of uh, players who have left USC recently and gone into the NFL. So I think, and, and think pro-style quarterbacks look at USC as a chance to play the pro-style offense at USC. So if you're going to get a Max Brown, if you're going to get these type of players, you've got to be ready to know that when they're junior, you can lose them. There aren't too many T.J. McDonald's. There aren't too many Matt Barkley's who come back. So that's part of the game you have to reload every year. You've got to have depth. You've got to have numbers. You've got to have players who are ready to step up and replace the players that leave.
1: Well, let's look at the guys. Uh, The two Players that have the best chance of going in the first round. One's a certain lock, and uh, it seems like Nick Perry's got a good chance too. Um, Matt Khalil and Nick Perry, though, two of the guys that you talked about were junior. So of the senior class, really, there was no first-round draft picks uh, coming out of that. And I think something has to do with the transition between uh, Pete Carroll, to Lane Kiffin, and uh, the sanctions and all that. So I think there, were, you know, the some of the depth had left already. And um, but you know, right now it looks like Matt Khalil. Really good shot to go, number three to the Minnesota Vikings. What Have you heard anything about that, or what are your thoughts on Matt Khalil going on the draft? I
2: haven't heard anything about him, but that, but what you hear about him going to the Vikings, someone asked me about that in Vegas, and I said they're crazy if they don't take him. Whenever you can get a left tackle, you've got to take a left tackle that has that type of ability. Uh, so, uh, you know, the last uh, tackle that Minnesota got uh, that played for years was Ron Yerry. I wonder if they can remember Ron Yerry. Well, if they think of uh, Ron Yerry, you think of Matt Khalil, and you say, "We better take this kid." So uh, I think he'll definitely go. I'd be very surprised if they don't take him. In fact, they're, I don't want to say it; they're not very smart. Let's call it that way.
1: Oh, uh, but yeah, it's funny now with the the information that comes out there. There's a lot of people that report on the draft. Um, there's certain guys you like to follow. I mean, you can follow them on Twitter. All the different networks have stuff. I love. Um, the NFL network coverage. I think they do a really good job, uh, but there seems to be disinformation kind of coming out there. And they in this year for sure. Uh, there seems to be a lot of talk about trading up and trading down and um, trying to get different guys out there. But it, it'd be interesting. The Vikings were talking, they talked about the Vikings maybe coming to LA and I guess that was falling apart or whatever, but for Khalil to go to the Vikings and then if they had moved back to Los Angeles, I thought that would have been the great storyline.
2: It would have been, but you know, You don't really have a choice, and you've got to be happy wherever you're drafted or have a free agency or a chance to play. Uh, As a free agent, sometimes it's better to be a free agent than it is to get drafted in the last round. But you have an opportunity to pick a team rather than get drafted by a team. You have a chance to have a choice of taking a look at a roster and saying where I have the best chance of of making it or playing special teams or being a backup. So uh, uh, you don't really care where you go you're very happy you have a chance to go and get that experience of playing in the NFL. I know Nick Perry will go in the first round, and I know Khalil will go in the first round. It's just how high you go in the first round, because the reason we're talking about that is because of the dollar figures in the first round, depending on what round you go. Otherwise, they're both going in the first round. So it all comes down to the opportunity of playing in the NFL and how much money you're going to make.
1: Uh, So you do think Perry's going to go in the first round? Do you think he's going to be able to make that transition uh, from college to the NFL?
2: I certainly do. He's got great talent. In fact, last year he got better and better as the season went along. He became a dominant player, and I think he'll play in the NFL. I certainly do.
1: Um, Well, there's a few other guys that are out there. It's it's kind of a big drop-off, I guess you could say, Coach. Um, uh, People will grade Khalil, obviously, very high, and Nick Perry very high. Then after that, it's, uh, there's a lot of questions. And I, I think the highest-rated player, depends who you talk to, could either be, it's usually DeJon Harris, um, who kind of re, uh, rejuvenated his career when Ed Orgeron came back to the team. People, he was kind of a forgotten guy that was never really in the mix. And then when Ed Orgeron comes back, Harris comes in and steps up. And you know he's 6'3", 306 pounds. Uh, you know, he, he's got a chance to, to slip in there somewhere and, and do some good things for a team.
2: Well, I think Harris will make the NFL. I really do. I watched him at the the Combine. Uh, He wasn't the best at the Combine, but he certainly was as good as many at the Combine. You know, you've got to find defensive tackles. You've got to find guys that can play in the middle. And uh, John Harris can play. If he continues to work on his strength and his speed and, and plays hard, he'll have a shot. And I think maybe he might not start but he'll make a roster in the NFL. I really believe he will. Well, you know, USC has had great success with defensive tackles in the NFL. If you look around the league, there's a lot of defensive tackles playing in the NFL from USC.
1: Now, oh, certainly, Coach. And uh, Christian Thomas is another guy that could go in there and make... I'm not sure. He might be one of those free agent guys. Maybe he slips in there late. Um, but I, I think he was a popular player while at USC and, and a hard worker. We'll see if if that if it becomes you know, the fruits of his labor and you can see him playing on Sunday someday?
2: He may. He may. You never know. It depends where you are, at the right place, the right time. If that team suffers an injury or something happens, uh, you've got to be ready to play. And it makes a difference. He, Pobby he, will be a free agent, and it might be as best to his, uh, benefit him to do that, where he can find a place where he can go and uh, play himself into a position you just got to uh, be – it's it's all timing, right? It's all timing. Being at the right place at the right time and having the right opportunity where you can step up and they need you and you're there.
1: One of the more interesting players, I think, would be Red Ellison, who, very unselfish, uh, uh, an extremely hard worker, and you know his dad uh, has been involved a lot, and you saw his football playing career, but – Comes in and, you know, was a tight end. The, the team needed a fullback, and he slips over there and plays fullback. Ends up going to the combine as a fullback, so it was kind of interesting for that. I thought he would go as a tight end, and, he you know, he's listed on draft boards as a fullback. But um, what, do, what do you think for, for Red Ellison? I mean, it just seems like a shame if, like, a position switch late in his career would set him back a little bit.
2: Well, it has set him back a little bit. You know, he's one of those tweeners. Now, don't get me wrong. He's done exactly what he's been asked to do at USC. He uh, was a tight end and was asked to play fullback to give them an additional threat as far as a receiver and a blocking tight end. And he did that. But he probably did lose some opportunities as far as working on his size and blocking. And at the combine, I was very surprised they played him at fullback, because he's just not, doesn't feel natural there. I mean, that's where he's playing, but I can just tell he didn't feel natural there. I think he's a little bit too tall for a fullback as far as getting down under people to block or to carry the football in the the NFL if you need to carry the football. Uh, He would be a a good receiver as far as a tight end or out in the flat in a one-back offense. He's a tweener right now in deciding and having to make a decision of what position he's going to play and what best uh, that his abilities will give a team uh, somewhere in the NFL. Now, if he was to go to New England, the Patriots, they'd find a place for him. Bill Belichick find a place for people that can play. He's got more people playing there that no one thought could play than anywhere in the world. Depends where he goes, on how he's utilized. Because you've got to go somewhere where someone can take the talent that you bring them and let them utilize your talent on the field. And that's going to be key for Ellison.
1: Um, One last thing for you, coach, Uh, a couple of five star players coming out of high school, uh, Chris Galippo and uh, Mark Tyler, both hoping to uh, get drafted over this weekend. Uh, what What are your thoughts on those guys?
2: Well, I like both those kids. I really do. I like both those kids. Uh, and it's hard when you know the kids to talk about the kids uh, because I know Chris personally. I don't know Tyler personally, but I've followed his career since he was at Oak Christian High School and know his dad. Uh, I think I think I I don't know what to say on this. You've caught me. Well, I don't know what to say. <laughs>
1: wow, Coach! I don't think I've ever done that to you before. Two hundred eighteen no, episodes. Ha- you
2: have. Because <laughs> I, you, what I mean, Ryan – is I want them both to have that opportunity. I want him back. I, I, think, I think Tyler's got to work on his speed and his endurance. He's got to really get himself in top shape. I mean great shape. But he hasn't run the 40 times really that has impressed anybody in the, in the, in the spring. It's all like the combine or pro day it's in those type of situations. Yet at FC, he, he did what he was asked to do. Uh, to step up to the next level, it's, the comp- competition is so competitive that you got to be able to do it all. So, again, it's the conditioning he's in, the speed he's in, he doesn't get hurt, uh, he's at the, with the right team, and we'll see what happens. Gallipo, Gallipo is a, a great kid, a great leader. He's a kid you want on your team. I would want him on my team. He might not be the fastest or the biggest or the strongest, but I would want to find a place for him on my team because he's that type of leader. He's smart. He's played. He started. He's the type of guy a coach will sit there when it's time to cut a kid and you look at him and say, this kid could play special teams for us. This kid I want on our team because... He'll never be late to a meeting. He'll be a leader. He'll be there when we need him. And uh, I think that's one thing that Chris has going for him, is he's a yes-sir, no-sir type of kid that I'd want on my team. And uh, that's the way I look at both of them. Uh, uh, They've got to really step up and play. Now you just don't put people on your team. But they've got to be where it comes down where – they can contribute to a team in some way where someone wants to keep
1: them. I, I guess the good thing, Coach, is even if they don't get drafted, like you mentioned about free agency, they're certainly good enough to be – they're going to get signed with somebody. They'll get, oh, yeah. Yeah, and then they'll have a chance in camp to show what they can do. And it, it, it's really about being in the right place at the right time. I'm sure there's plenty of NFL players that didn't have as much talent as other guys, but they were put in a, a great position – and they thrived. And I'm sure there's guys that were really talented that were put in bad positions. And their careers faltered for us. I mean, it's, it's there's some luck involved. Just like you talked about having a good season, there's some luck involved. There's some luck involved with the NFL draft and free agency process as well.
2: It's all put together. It's always at the right place at the right time. And, you know, before we go, I want to mention this because I don't know how much time you're going to give me today. I write a column in the Mountain Views News. About Mountain Views News. And I used, uh, when I closed the column, my last column last week was on the review of spring practice at USC. I used your term, I closed it by saying, R75 is better than your 85. And so many people have asked me, what did I mean by that? And Ryan, I don't know if you started that term, but you have that on a t-shirt, and I think that's a great slogan. I really do.
1: Well, thanks, Coach. Yeah, you can... uh it was it was on the peristyle and we, there was a lot of different talk about that and we we made a t-shirt for it uh, you know it was on uscfootball.com you can go to r75 or better than your 85.com i know it's kind of long but um, that's really what the shirt says so this is could be the ultimate year for that coach 75 scholarship players versus 85 scholarship players if they go out and and beat everybody on their schedule it really proves that that r75 are better than your 85
2: I tell you, I would be—I would be as a head coach, you know—you know the way I am emotionally. I would be talking about that all the time, and I—and I'd, I—I'd I'd, be punching my guys, telling them, "Hey, you guys are better than any 80, 85 in the country. We don't need 85; we need 75 guys who want to really get after it." And uh, I like that saying. I don't know if you created that saying or whoever created that, but it's a great, great, great uh, emotional type of way of motivating.
1: That's ours coach. Yeah. We came up with it. So, um, <laughs> it was fun. And you know, we were, there was a lot of discussion on the Peristyle on uscfootball.com about different little slogans and stuff. And, uh, that one popped up and we, we just ran with it and there we are. So yeah, we got to get you one of those shirts coach.
2: Well, okay. Okay. <laughs> I'll call in and ask myself a question.
1: All right. <laughs> Great. All right. Well, coach, thanks very much for, uh, Coming on, we went a little long. I know we had some extra coverage to talk about the draft, but thanks for uh, spending the extra time with us, Coach. We always appreciate it.
2: Ryan, thank you very much. In fact, you can hear the phone ringing in the background. It's time for me to go back to work.
1: Time, Get back to work, Coach, and uh, thanks again to everyone else. We'll be back in 30 seconds talking with Dan Weber.
0: Meet us on the other side of the break for more of the Peristyle Podcast. We now return to the Peristyle Podcast and your host, Ryan Abraham.
1: Welcome back to the Peristyle Podcast. We're going to talk a little bit more USC football with Dan Weber, uscfootball.com, beat writer, covering the team as always. Dan, how you doing, man? What's been going on?
3: Well, not much. i tell you, uh, I do get emails from guys just saying, USC fans who say things like, can you believe Two years ago, where USC was a year ago, and now where they are, and I just saw uh, some of our guys had had gone round and round uh, with uh, sporting news, and Matt Hayes, who's their national college football. I don't know if you remember, we had uh, guys who posted a series of their emails back and forth, and they were really unhappy with with Matt Hayes, and kind of you know they thought uh, sort of a an anti-USC uh spin on things, and I just saw you know the other day that he posted his top twenty five or sporting news posted their top twenty five college football players coming back for this year and u s c is one two with uh uh matt Barkley, number one and then uh, and marquise lee number two wow robert lee. woods is number robert woods is number nine overall, so here matt hayes this uh somebody who u s c people haven't been very happy with. He has three USC football players among the top nine in, in rankings in, in the country. I think, uh, have things ever turned around? uh Yeah, maybe.
1: Pretty impressive. Yeah, I, I guess it started maybe with the NCAA allowing Josh Shaw to actually play right away. I think that was kind of a wake-up call. Like USC fans were saying, huh, there was a, a ruling that actually went in USC's favor, and now there's more national media catching on where You know, It doesn't seem like people are saying, well, there's not going to be any depth. The sanctions are really hurting this team. Now people are are really putting them in the same categories as the Alabamas and LSUs of the world. It's
3: almost inexplicable. I mean, there is no, as Lane said last week, uh, I don't know if I'd pick us to be uh, number one. He said, I don't know if I'd pick a team with 10 fewer scholarships than everybody else is to be number one. But, well people are doing that and that's just uh who would have ever ever thought that i i don't know that anyone had, at usc we ever we never probably ever ever will know what uh deep down you know lane lane was thinking or ed Ordron or, or whatever but it's just hard to imagine anyone would have ever thought usc would be sitting in this position you know as we finish up april uh, of this year uh, would be in this this kind of a position where it's just assumed by everybody in college football that USC could be there uh, at the end of next year, and uh, you know, in Miami, it's just uh, you know so much to go between now and then. Right. But uh, it's hard to get there if people don't think you even have a chance to get there. I mean, you've got to almost be in the discussion, uh, or uh, or you're not you're not really going to be in the mix to get there and that USC not only in the discussion, but where it is in the discussion is, is really, uh, it's kind of stunning. I mean, it's uh, a potential for just one of those seasons that almost doesn't seem true. It's like, you know, too good to be true uh, or too amazing uh, almost to be true. It, it's, it's, it, it really says some things about what's happened here in the last couple of years uh, that that maybe even we who see it every day, you can't believe uh that they've uh, made so many uh, good calls, good decisions. So many kids have done, you know, so many uh, so many things that are really special. It's uh, you know, again, got to play the games, got to be ready for them. Uh, everybody's going to be coming after you, but to be in this position is uh, is pretty amazing.
1: I think it's it was a genius move too by Lane Kiffin when he would say that. Where how could you pick USC number one? We're we're fewer than ten, you know, ten fewer scholarships than everyone else. It's almost like one of those Lou Holtz moments where he goes into the game and say, "Oh, we don't have a chance," and he knows that they're as talented as anyone in the country, and they have a great shot at at doing something special this season. Now, certainly, they go out and lose a couple games early, and uh, you know, just you know, maybe being in line for a good bowl, but not in that national championship picture. And I don't think anyone would hold them to you know as as him at fault for that. I mean, they think that there's built-in excuses going in there, but he knows that if he does put something special together, it's a little extra recognition because not only did he turn the program around that quickly, but he did it with basically one hand tied behind his back.
3: Well, I mean, it, it it tells you how many, and this is my next thing I'm writing is all the good calls that Lane has made, you know, like the top 10, just try to do some top 10 lists this week. And one of the top 10 lists are the the 10 best calls that Lane Kiffin's made over the last couple of years. Uh, because you look back, and uh, you know there may be a, you know something in a game here or there, but if you look at the overall development of the program, he's made an awful lot of good calls and an awful lot of things that have played out and decisions about people and coaches and uh, just in general uh, the strategy of uh, you know competing with the NCAA sanctions and all of that. That uh, that when you look back at it, you think, wow, you know, second, you know, you can't even second-guess them. They're hindsight. Uh, they were they're as good in hindsight as they were, you know, when when he made them, and uh, maybe he doesn't always get the credit, uh, you know, for being able to do that. But when you look back at it now, you can't be where they are now, having not had, you know, almost no missteps. I mean, that's uh, that's pretty amazing.
1: One of the, I guess, maybe some of the concerns that that some of the fans have expressed, at least on Twitter or on the message boards. Uh, I mean, there were guys missing. There were certainly pieces not all together. Spring ball, there was a lot of guys injured. There was a, a, a certain level of inconsistency in the play, especially on the offensive side of the football, pretty much throughout spring ball. Are there any concerns there since USC did start off so slow? Last year on offense, it was basically Matt Barkley to Robert Woods. Uh, I, they can't really afford to do that with the Stanford game coming up, third game of the season. Any concerns there, Dan, of kind of what you saw in spring and them being able to to you know turn a switch on at the beginning of fall camp or at the beginning of the season?
3: No, actually, I, I I think I think it's a good thing. I mean, I think uh, for this team with this level of maturity, with you know, say if you look at uh, you know Matt Barkley and Robert Woods as your main cogs and that, I almost think it was a good thing that they could kind of take a little bit of a pause in the spring, let other people, you know, get chances. Let, I mean, you know, the, it's sad that George Farmer and Buck Allen, probably the two, you would have liked to have seen uh, get a chance to do more individually and then the Trey Madden injury, just <clears throat> of all the things, that's, uh, you know, obviously uh, it's unbelievable. How good a decision that was, and would have been, had he stayed eligible. I mean, he stayed uh, healthy because uh, I don't think we can even tell people how good he potentially was going to be. I mean, we've said it, but it just still—you're you, going to have to see it. Uh, and and you know that's the the advantage of recruiting the kinds of players USC is recruiting. They're, I mean, they're recruiting multi-talented, multi-positional guys who. Are athletes first, maybe, and uh, and uh, uh, that is, you know, extends the number of seventy-five scholars. If you've got seventy-five scholarships, but you've got a number of guys that can play both ways or several positions, uh, you're playing with more than that, and you're playing with maybe better athletes uh, at those uh, at those positions. Having the Abe Markowitzes, for example, um, you know, having a Red Ellison last year. Those kinds of I think decisions have really helped USC, you know, tremendously, uh, and yet, a decision that, you know, Marquise Lee, nope, you're not a safety, you're a wide receiver, and that's where you're going to be for us, also, uh, exactly right on the money, I mean, some you want to be able to do a couple of things, some you don't, uh, Tony Burnett, you'd like to have him, you know, once he's in his third position in, you know, two and a half years, and, uh, you know, every one of those moves seems like, uh, you know, or at least where he is now, seems like the place he. He needs to be, and USC needs him to be. So uh, we'll see how uh, how this you know how this all goes. But I think the chances for the youngest players to get as much playing time as they could in the spring was the most important thing. Uh, you know, they weren't playing anybody in the spring, didn't have any games. I, I think it was maybe more important for the uh, three new coaches to become part of a coaching team and to get a chance to do more real coaching in the spring. Uh, I think that was more important than anything that uh, you know uh, approximates say a game situation. I think it was fine that they didn't even try to play a game on uh, <clears throat> on the spring game. Uh, you know, you know their games will come in you know September, and uh, with the veteran leadership I think they've got, I think they'll they'll be fine.
1: Well, just so for fans' sake, we know that you know USC spring ball ended uh, last weekend um i was actually down i think it was down at the beach this weekend and people ask me you know that people don't know exactly what i do all the time they think that when the season ends like i don't do anything all summer I'm like no yeah. it's pretty busy all year round there's always stuff going on but they want to know like kind of what are the players doing now like oh they got the whole summer off I'm like well not really i mean you're just not allowed to practice but maybe kind of give people an update of of what's on the schedule now for these players
3: well, I think what's kind of fun is this is the biggest group of uh, track guys you know we've had, and uh, you know they get to conclude the season with some, uh, uh, I guess, uh, USC UCLA meet, which is uh, you know that's a lot of fun, and uh, the Pac uh, Pac twelve meet. A guy like Abe Markowitz uh, is <clears throat> hasn't been really throwing the shot or the discus. I think uh, he may be throwing both, and he just stepped back and hadn't thrown a discus for how long and. I think he's going to get a chance to do both. And, uh, he actually, now I don't know what the standards are in terms of uh, qualifying for the Olympics, but as a citizen of Samoa, he, uh, he has the ability if he hits the, uh, minimum standards to, uh, throw, uh, either one of those. And I'm guessing shot more of an opportunity than the discus, um, you know, to compete in the Olympics, uh, which would be, you know, just something completely out of the blue, uh, for this summer. But, uh, Also, you've got uh, the athletes' graduation coming up in, uh, uh, I think, May 10th, which is always kind of neat because there will be players for next year who will be graduating uh, in May, like an Abe, uh, uh, probably Matt Barkley. I think, you know, all the guys that are going to graduate within the next semester get to uh, be part of that athletes' graduation. And and that's a great ceremony, and I, you know, would recommend it to people – they have it at Galen Center, and we'll, we'll do some advance uh, on it before it gets here. But uh, I thought it was uh, a terrific day for the uh, for the USC athletes last year, uh, you know, with all the football players making it and getting their degrees. And uh, uh, I think they're pretty much on track with most of the guys this year, uh, and uh, some of the guys will be ahead of, ahead of the pace. But uh, – and then you've got the, um, right after the graduation, you've got the 16 guys heading down to, uh, to Haiti for five days to bring supplies and build houses and, and that kind of thing with the, with the Barclay family. So, uh, uh, I think they've got a, they've got a pretty full plate. And then, uh, after that, they'll, you know, get back in, in end of May, early June, and they can start getting ready for summer, summer ball. Then they'll start, you know, working out in the summer, but, uh, this is probably a kind of a good little break to finish up uh, academically and, and, and uh, uh, exams and all that uh, for the uh, spring semester and then uh, then move on. But uh, kind of a – they're probably, once they get back into it, there won't be any breaks. This will be uh, six or seven months of sustained, uh, uh, you know, hard work and attention, and, uh, and Matt Barkley keeps talking about, you know, they're ready for the onslaught of, uh, of publicity. I mean, if people remember the 2005 season when, for example, ESPN practically set up a Howard Jones Field Bureau with live reports every day, uh, who knows if, if that won't return again, uh, you know, with ESPN, you know, getting the USC radio contract and all that. So I think this is a, a well deserved and well timed break for these guys, but uh, it's not going to last too long.
1: Yeah, and the uh, May's kind of a, a weird month as far as covering the team because, you know, the, the finals are coming up and the players kind of take a little bit of time off. They don't get much time off the whole year. We do a lot of uh, recruiting coverage. Gerard will be on later this week for uh, a, a Trojan Blast recruiting podcast. We've got a lot of questions already for him. If you have more, you can send them podcast at uscfootball.com. But um, the, the, the coaches are out there doing their May evaluations. They can go out and, and visit campuses and there's a lot of camps and stuff coming up so there's more offers and uh you know we expect to see more commitments and things like that happening so a lot of happening on the recruiting front but I guess what when it really gets interesting Dan is when you said like June when they start off the uh, summer workouts and stuff again they'll be working out they'll throw the football around and we'll be down there for that but once the high school graduations start all of those guys from the class of 2012 they start to show up on campus and we get to check them out so that's that's kind of the one of the one of the more fun parts of the year, I think, when you're covering this team, seeing the brand new guys for the first time.
3: Yeah, I think the. I mean, I, you look at a handful of uh, you look at uh, you know what does Nelson Aguilar you know look like you know running you know or what's he look like with a football in his hand? watch and you know everybody now will probably say, I want to see him throw the ball. You know, we think he can catch it. And we think he can run with it now. If he's going to be a designated wildcat guy, how much they'll use the wildcat, we don't know, but. uh uh uh, you know, let's see what kind of. Uh, I mean, we've all heard about how much leadership he has, and and all that. I think everybody's gonna to want to see Leonard Williams and say, you know, how big, how fast, how you know, what do we, what do we pick up on him? You're gonna to want to see the three uh, offensive linemen that are coming in. You know, um, you know, how much do he really weigh? How tall are they? You know, how do they move their feet? That kind of thing. Uh, yeah, that gets kind of exciting, actually. To you know, the first chance you get to see in person. With, the, uh, with their, uh, you know, older teammates and all that, because you're always looking to say, you know, this guy going to play, you know, and, and several of them probably will. And uh, that's fun. That's a, you're right. That's a, that's a kind of a fun time uh, uh, to see those guys for the first time, you know, on the field, you know, with their teammates and, uh, and moving around out there. There's a lot you can learn. Uh, one of the things I always like to watch is I just like to watch their feet. I, you know, how, how good are their feet? How fast, you know, how do they, how do they handle their feet? How do they, you know, pick them up and move them and pivot on them and all the little things that you can see that no matter how good the video is, you still, you kind of need to see them in person uh, for that kind of evaluation. So, uh, you're right. That's a, that's kind of a big, big deal and a fun time.
1: Well, we did have a question mentioning uh, something that you were just talking about. It's Mark and La Quinta, and you were talking about that Haiti trip, uh, where after graduation, sixteen uh, USC football players. It might be seventeen now. Didn't they add uh, Josh, Josh? I don't know. A bunch of guys.
3: Uh, I wasn't. I think he was number sixteen. But we're going oh. to recount him again. But he, yes, they uh, they added him. Yes.
1: Okay, yeah, so maybe 15, 16, 17, something along those lines. But uh, Mark wanted to know I know it's not a reason, this is not a reason for the trip, but can you comment on how many times you think Larry Scott and Mark Emmert will use the Trojans' trip as an example of what is right about college athletics? I can see it now as part of the Pac 12 TV broadcast.
3: (laughs) Well, it maybe should be. Uh, uh, You know, I I mean, I keep having this moment of we're we're talking about the uh, Pac 12 media day. July 24th, somewhere in L.A., the last uh, vestige of the Pac-12 in L.A., I'm guessing, until maybe if USC pulls it off and they have the championship football game here. But I'd uh, uh, almost like to ask Mark or, uh, Larry Scott, Larry, have you ever had second thoughts about you know, your little thing you did with Matt Barkley during the year where you reprimanded him for the things he said about Vontez Berfic that probably should have been said for the previous three years by every coach at Arizona State who chose not to say anything about that poor kid. And that um, Have you ever approached Matt and said, you know, Matt, I probably shouldn't have done that. You're you're probably the best thing we got going for us in this conference. And uh, I kind of wish I hadn't done that. I, I think I may actually ask Larry that question at media day just to see if he's ever had a chance to sit down with Matt Barkley and say, you know, I probably... Uh, what I said there and reprimanding you was probably worse than anything you could have possibly said about Montez Burfict. Since of course, what you said about Montez Burfict was exactly correct and wasn't meant in a, any kind of a mean-spirited uh, way. But uh, but you're, that's a great question. I think uh, if I were the NCA and I were uh, Pac-12, I would uh, I would be uh, you know touting what USC is doing. Problem you've got there is. If the NCAA is kind of paying themselves in a corner the way they've so unfairly dealt with USC, uh, that it would probably bring people to say, uh, well, wait a minute, If Matt Barkley's a great guy, and Paul Dees turned out to be not maybe such a good guy, and he kind of represents the NCA, and Matt Barkley represents USC, doesn't that make the NCA look kind of bad? And if I'm uh, Mark Emmert, I'm the head of the NCA because I've specialized – all my career, all my life, in getting into situations where I can't be blamed for anything. I'm the ultimate bureaucrat. You know, I, I went through every university and every conference trying to build a resume so I could, you know, get a job like that. And I uh, I probably wouldn't have moved up the ladder if I'd ever said a word that made anybody look at me and say, wait a minute, did you guys screw up? So... Well, that's a, a wonderful idea. Uh, I'm not think I'm not thinking the NCAA or the Pac-12 uh, is going to take advantage of it because it would, you know, put put some light on uh, some of the things that they've done with regard to the over the last couple of years that probably uh, don't shed uh, much, uh, you know, don't make them look very good.
1: All right, and then we do. <laughs> we have one more question for you, Dan. Uh, this was. Something to do with what we'll talk about on Thursday, where Matt Khalil could likely be the number three pick in the uh, NFL draft. We'll see he's going to be a a high pick somewhere. But here's a question about uh, Matt Khalil. Hey, guys. This is Joe from Virginia. Can you tell me why Matt Khalil did not win the Outland Trophy Award? I know Barrett Jones was a really good tackle for Alabama. But we were highly ranked, and Matt Khalil did not allow a sack the whole season. In fact, he led a lot of our rushing attack. Please answer it. Thanks for the podcast.
3: Well, uh, really good question. I actually talked to some people who went to the, uh, the College Football Award show and were talking about the Outland Award, and they said, <laughs> they said, Bear Jones looked like uh, Matt's little brother. They said, God, it was like there was no comparison. They said, athletically, if you stood the two guys next to one another and if you looked at their highlights, they weren't even in the same, they weren't playing the same game. I mean, it was, but, you know, I mean, Matt Khalil didn't even make all the All American teams. I mean, think about that. I mean, I, you know, I was trying to think that they, we, we maybe ought to do a study of the All American teams he didn't make and and look at the voters and, and just request that none of them ever be allowed to vote again. I mean, it was just, what a joke. Uh, uh, but that's the way it is. That's the way, you know, that's the way it goes. And some of those, uh, you know, deals where they, um, you know, where you stick together and, and most of the people, you gotta understand, most of these people don't know anything about which lineman is better than which other lineman. And it's uh, kind of a pack, you know, herd mentality. And they, They vote for the guy from Alabama, you know, because they they put up what? The Alabama offense put up what? Three points on the LSU during the regular season. So, how could you not uh, vote for one of those uh, talented offensive, you know, linemen there? But uh, that was the thing I got back, though, from people who had been at um, at that awards. They said, if you looked at the two players next to one, and they said, for example, there was no doubt among the players who was the better player who was the better athlete who was the better offensive lineman it was said it was not like you know that that Khalil was like wishing people would would know uh you know what he what he did or how good he could be uh, but you're right that's just that's just the way you know you see Alabama and this kid you know was the their uh, their kind of go-to guy on the offensive line but as to you know any comparisons uh None whatsoever, and that's just the way there's a... That's why I wouldn't get all that caught up in those award shows, all that much of those particular awards. Uh, you know, they they don't all mean that much. If you get one, great. If you don't, no big deal.
1: Yeah, there have been a lot of USC uh, tackles over the years, a great offensive lineman that did not win the award and then would be picked, you know, in the top ten in the draft and have amazing... NFL careers uh, I, I know there's been a topic on the peristyle where USC doesn't do a great job of promoting uh some of their best like position players like uh position players like that where you on the linemen or you know f- sure the Heisman stuff is kind of like forefront in the media but uh like Matt Khalil they'll talk about him as being a, a top pick in the NFL draft but we didn't see a whole lot of promotion for him winning any of those awards so maybe it's something that USC could try to do to to get that out there because like you said the the writers don't know, and the, the people that vote don't know all that much about it. It's basically what you tell them to do. So if you tell them, hey, this is the best offensive lineman in the country, then they have to take that into consideration. You know what I mean?
3: Yeah, you know, and I know USC, and I, I kind of like the attitude where you, you let their play and the team's play, and you let it come out of that, and you don't try to make it the focus of what you're doing, where, you know, they don't put the names on the jerseys. I love that. That's just the best thing in the world, and it's all about teams. And I think the ultimate uh, determination is two years ago, number one offensive lineman was was Tyrone Smith in USC. This year, the number one offensive lineman is going to be Khalil. And where it really matters, you know, in terms of their whole you know lifetime and their career, and the uh, you know the rewards they get from, from doing what they've done at, at that level, and uh, and the reward that USC gets, because let me tell you what, nothing is more important. Uh, in terms of uh, USC's re, you know, kind of rebirth, I guess you would say, is as the you know, an absolute elite, very top of the li- you know list uh, college football power, is that kids nationally, prospects nationally, know that there is no better place to go if you want to get to the NFL, and and, and, and be developed and uh, to the you know the ultimate uh, in terms of your talent that USC does the best job. And if you would say, what combination of uh, uh, education and atmosphere and history and program and uh, all of that, the academics with the athletics, what what's the best place for you? And you almost, you know, the awards and things like that are almost secondary. USC, uh, and I think maybe it's one of the things that sustained USC so well through this time is, Nobody puts more guys in the NFL. Nobody puts more guys, highly rated, highly picked uh, into the NFL, and uh, than USC does. And 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 that ultimately is where you know where these kids are. You know, looking and ultimately it's the uh, evaluation of the program. And I guess if a guy like a Matt Khalil had his choice, and you you got a choice of being the top offensive lineman in the draft or winning the Outland Award. I don't think there's any question about, you know, which one he'd rather have.
1: All right, Dan. Well, we really appreciate you coming on the show and talking some USC football with us. We'll uh, get you on next week. We can evaluate where these guys went in the draft and how that all breaks down. We'll see if Matt Khalil does end up going number three or if the Vikings pass on him or if there's a bunch of trades. Who knows? There could be a lot of crazy stuff that happens, but... We'll check yeah, back I think with you.
3: Uh, Matt's in kind of one of those places where there's you know there's some legitimately real intrigue and it'll make it uh, fun to watch uh, so uh, I mean I think for USC fans uh, it's almost always uh, interesting day and fun to watch but I think this year maybe even more so because uh, we really don't know all
1: right well Dan thanks again really appreciate you coming on the show and everyone else thank you very much for tuning in you have been listening to the Parastyle podcast.